you know, when I was talking about the filler arc that we're currently in, uh, I had a thought that in the comments section, people would disagree with me on that. They would point out, Carpentry, this isn't a filler episode. Allow me to disagree. While there are some significant ep- uh, events that happen here that have some relevance for the future, this is still a filler episode. I mean, you know, even uh, the previous episode, uh, Similitude, was a filler episode. It was just good. This, um, well, I think the lights say all they need to, don't they? Oh, my God. Berman and Braga wrote this one. And, God, where do I begin? We start off in 2004, Detroit, with Leyland Orser playing, uh, whatever his name is. I don't even write it down. Dude face. I know it's named for something. Something Halloween-related, that's all I remember about it. Uh, I remember him probably most as Dejarin over in Revulsion, although he also played uh, Lovak over in Deep Space Nine, and has done a few other roles over the years. And, of course, he's awesome. He's great. He's not, like, my favorite guest star. He's probably not even in the top five, but he's probably in the top ten when it comes to Trek guest stars. He's, he's good stuff, and, you know, he does actually add a lot of good to this episode. To be perfectly blunt, I would be willing to say he is the only good thing about this episode, and I sincerely debated with retracting the Lamentation label just for him. I'll talk about that in a minute. <sighs> he has this weird quality where he manages to be a charismatic person despite playing slimy characters. <laughs> you know, the Mark Alamo effect, right? Because he does come across as weirdly charismatic in this episode, and decently enjoyable to see on camera despite the fact that he's playing a scumbag, right? I don't know, it's just weird. He's, he's got that talent for it. It's something reminds me of um, oh god, the guy who played Suter over in Voyager. <sighs> I can't think of his name. He has the same kind of quality where he can do that and, and portray someone who is incredibly creepy and horrifying but kind of engaging at the same time. Anyways. So he's here cold open. We see the that he is living in not exactly wonderful circumstances. I mean, he's living in Detroit, so what do you... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a joke. That's a joke. I'm, just, I'm reminded of the time when we were playing uh, Arkham Horror, and it's like, okay, we need to decide which Eldritch Horror we're going to be playing against tonight. It's a board game. Which Eldritch Horror we're going to... And third's like, we should fight against Detroit. And it just turned into this running gag of the fact that Detroit is actually one of the old gods. It just kind of... <clears throat> He's got a random slice of pizza just sitting around on his bathroom sink. So that's, that's neat. And the, my favorite little detail, there's actually some weirdly good details in this episode. He pulls up the phone, and the phone is filthy. Like, it's covered in grime. You just look at that like, wow. Anyways, whatever. So, no insult intended here. Uh, really. But you'd think the uh, the woman would suspect something. Like, the guy Orser is playing... Did I write down his name at all? I did not. I can look it up. Hang on. Boop. We'll just hit this button. We're going to have some light. Oh, God, the light. My eyes. Uh, Loomis. There we go. Loomis. I probably did write that down somewhere. Boop. Back to that. Loomis is not exactly being subtle. And he's not exactly being clandestine. He's just like, yeah, no. you. I'm just going to pull out this chloroform rags in full view and take my time opening them up and then take my time pulling it out and then I'm going to move approach to you and then I'm going to slowly, ah, oh, there we go and then I'm going to hit you with the thing, okay okay she works the streets in Detroit you'd think she'd be a little suspicious but whatever, 
So we see that he, she, she, she is dropped off by him so that they can take him. And we see the reptilians' evilness. Da, 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 da. Had a thought. The reptilians apparently have money. Quite a bit of it, actually, if they're paying five grand per person. Uh, they have a base of operations. They have access to phone and contacts and have managed to find someone who's totally cool with selling people out for money. They've got establishment. They did all this in only two months. That's mildly impressive. By contrast, our heroes have a much harder time managing to acclimate to the setting later on. And I was thinking about that. And then I had the random thought as I was, I was cleaning up breakfast because I was just eating breakfast while I was watching. And I was cleaning up the dishes and I was like, <laughs> I guess, I guess the creators are saying that the bad guys are more acclimated to modern day life than the good guys. Oh God, that's exactly what they're saying, isn't it? Because it's not exactly like Trek doesn't shy away from, you know, making fun of or deriding or mocking or looking down upon modern day life they've been doing that since tos never mind early tng okay whatever <clears throat> so this then leads to the fact now i actually fr tried to freeze frame to count how much money he was making i got up to about uh 2600 which is very wrong because apparently he's getting five grand per person which is about seven grand in today's money Although, to be perfectly blank, frank, I'm not sure that level of inflation really tracks, but let's not get into the, the nitty-gritty of inflation and how that works. So, bottom line, five grand per person. That's actually really cheap, if, you're be if I'm being completely blunt. I'm surprised he went for that. But then again, he lives in a sty, so those are the people you bribe. And so then Daniel shows up. Okay. So far, the episode hasn't been terrible. The moment Daniels shows up, it just nosedives. Let's start off. Let, let's let's go through this, shall we? First of all, there's no history of the Zindi out. Okay, okay. They've been in the expanse for months at this point, multiple months. I think it's two or three months, something like that. I forget the exact numbers. There are they have tracked it. They did have a timeline for what events happened where, and it's it's like ten months total for the whole season. So. They've been in here for a bit, right? Probably closer to like five months at this point, if I was just to, to spitball it. For five months they've been in here. That's after the weeks upon weeks that happened during the, the episode The Expanse at the end of season two. So it's been over a year. Well, that might be an exaggeration. It's been approaching a year at the very least. Where the crap have you been, Daniels? Oh, but the events haven't actually reached us yet. What? Ignoring the fact that that makes absolutely no sense, there's also the fact that this very show, never mind this franchise, but this specific show with this person and this type of t temporal incursion has shown that this is not how things happen. We saw this in Shockwave, where the results were instantaneous, because that's how that works. It's not like the time, our times are not moving at the same rate across time. Because you're over here in the future. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. It's still going to hit here at the same point. Because it's, it's not it already happened. <sighs> okay, so that's stupid. But then we find, we run into the next problem. Where the hell have you been? Oh, well, you know, it's been hard to get, you know, clearance. He, it's, he's been trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, he, he doesn't really know. He, he can't tell you where the weapon is. 
Okay, that makes no sense whatsoever, because you can still both scan and interact with the past, so you should be able to scan the past and figure out where the weapon is, but let's ignore that. And then there's the fact that he decides to warp in d- into the Expanse, which I'm, I'm not even going to begin to explain how much of a whatever that is, since they apparently can just warp to anywhere in time and space instantly. Mega transporters, which should make it even easier to find the weapon and just stop this mission right now, since they have no problem sending uh, Archer and T'Pol to the past to change things. Then we run into the fact, so, God, we're already up to like four layers of stupid. And this is already enough to piss me off. Then there's the fact that they have, they flat out state, we've detected three Zindi reptilians in the past. What? In case you're not getting my point here, they have the ability to detect three individual people on one planet in the galaxy at one point in time, 150 years prior to now. So they clearly can detect the past to great detail and to very small incursions, and yet they can't tell what the heck's going on with the current events that they have not interacted with yet, even though they can go before these events? (sighs) Now, okay, you're probably thinking, runner, just go with it. First of all, no, I'm not giving them that pass. Second of all, and more importantly, why is all of this happening? Well, that's obvious. They wanted a time travel story, okay, because remember, desperate for scripts. We talked about that. Uh, We had the the Manny Cotto interview about that. So they were desperate for scripts, and it shows. And Braga really likes the aliens in contemporary uh, modern-day life thing. This has already shown up in Voyager, and will show up again after this in Enterprise on Braga's run. So, yeah, we, we know that's a thing for him. No insult intended, by the way. We all have our things. You know, undeath is something for me. I'll go and admit that. You know, it's one of the reasons that I first got attached to the Warcraft setting, believe it or not, is because of the way they treated undeath and how it became a whole thing there, a whole concept, and the layers of, of being absent part of your soul and all this. It's a fascinating thing to me, so I tend to write undeath into my story. So I get it. I'm not trying to be insulting on that one point. But the point is, they needed a script. He had that shtick. They wanted the time travel. But they had all of the problems with that. Because if they just introduce Daniels here with his temporal stuff without thinking about any of it, well, then we have this episode, don't we? By all accounts, if this episode followed logic, what should happen is Daniels should actually be like, hey, so... Here's where the Zindi weapon is, but we're going to send you back to when it was being built here, and you're going to do this and this and this, and it's all going to completely change history because this conflict never happened. Okay. And then it's over. Because they're from the future, and they can scan the past and teleport you anywhere, anywhere. So yeah, that should be game, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. Temporal incursions. But remember, this is to undo a temporal incursion, which by their own statements is acceptable. Under the temporal accords, under the, the, the temporal Cold War situation, it's okay to react to, right? So they should have every cast of spelly necessary to do this. And they certainly have the tech and the, and the capacity and everything else they need. But no, they just wanted them to go back to have this one little romp for this one little adventure. So they go back to do their one little romp, one little adventure, and Daniels is completely useless. Side note. If this had been planned out, I've always said, and I've said this for years, never mind when I was doing these ruminations, if they had planned out the Temporal Cold War, 
then it would have worked out better. Even if it was not a great story arc. If they had at least planned it out and been consistent and laid out those pieces in advance, then it would have been better than it is. But the biggest problem, my opinion, biggest problem by far for the Temporal Cold War is the fact that it never had any plan. They had a cool idea. I talked about this. They had a cool idea back in season one. And they had no idea what to do with it. And so they just kind of... And finally they end up torpedoing it in, in you know when, when season four comes around. And that's the problem. It's the Maquis all over again. We just don't know what to do with the Maquis. Why? It's a great premise. This is also why in the Trek rewrite we're keeping the Temporal Cold War. We're just actually mapping it out. In fact, we have the whole thing mapped out. Even as of now, in Enterprise, you know, as of me recording this, which is, at this point, we've only written a few episodes of Enterprise in the rewrite, but we already have pretty much the whole Temporal Cold War mapped out. Because that's how you do something like that. Anyways. So. Okay. So. This, I'm, I'm sorry, I got one last thing to complain about here. Okay. So. Why doesn't Daniels himself go back and do this? Well, again, it's because we need the heroes to do this. This is not the Adventures of Daniels. But the that's the actual reason. The lower reason is, oh, well, he just can't get clearance. There's not enough time to get clearance. I'm not even going to begin to explain how stupid that sentence is. Instead, I'm going to comment on the fact that he's only... He doesn't have clearance to go back and fix the incursion. And he has to go through paperwork to get that clearance. But it's okay for him to go back to the partial past and inform and recruit Archer and T'Palfort and then send them back. Question, why all of that? Why is it okay for him to go back, but not all the way, and to send them all the way back, but not for him to go all the way back? Huh? Oh, it's also only limited to two people, because otherwise... Uh, um, quantum, and you don't want a quantum, believe me. So this is all very stupid. Now, I've said this many times. I've said this recently. I'm willing to accept and forgive stupid if we get something good out of it. Cloud effect, right? Or the cloud effect, to be more accurate, right? I'm, I'm cool with that. So if the episode actually nailed it, fine. I will... Turn my brain off. No, I won't. But I will point out the flaws and then move on and enjoy the story. Because that, that's my general approach. If you're going to do something stupid and then it comes out good, I will point out the stupid and then I will praise the good. That's, that's how I do things, right? But then we get to the actual episode. First thing I want to comment on is the fact that DePaul has once again found another outfit that looks better on her than the catsuit. It, it, it just keeps coming. And it's just like a standard, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> so that, I'm not even going to ask how an electronic device unlocks the mechanical lock in a mechanical car. At least it's starting the car makes a modicum of sense, although it does that too. And hacking the ATM, that makes perfect sense. But unlocking a car? Really? Okay, okay. Let's just. This then leads to the fish out of water se sequence. Okay, that's not very entertaining. You know, random thought. I think this might have worked better if it was actually Tucker instead of Archer. If nothing else, at least we would have the interplay between Tucker and T'Pol, and they play better off of each other. Also, if you really wanted to go full tilt with this, they could have been, you know, this episode could have been a character piece. Uh, yeah, sure, time travel, back to, you know, save humanity, whatever. And nobody gives a damn about that. What? It's, it's, this is a non-threat. This is a threat of the week. 
This is a threat of the week episode. It's a bog standard thing. These people are going to wipe out all humanity in the past. Uh huh. Sure they are. Just like the, the earth was destroyed in a previous episode, right? Uh huh. I believe you. Wink. No, this is a threat of the week and they're super threatening and global scale just because that, that way we feel actually threatened, even though none of that makes any sense, but let's move on. So, okay, fine. What do you do with the threat of the week? Well, you either make the threat really well done, the Borg, or the Voth, or you do something interesting with it, either in terms of the plot being engaging and well-constructed, which this is not. Um, you could do something very cool thematically, which this does not. I'll talk about that in a minute. Or you could do something really cool character-wise, which this does not. But let me latch onto that last part, because if it's Tucker and Paul, then this could be the episode in which they try to basically just deal, just just decompress after the death of Sim. And how Tucker is still not sure how to deal with this because, you know, he, he feels incredibly guilty that another him had to die just so he could live, just because he was so stupid that he just had to get up on top of the warp core and he's beating himself up over this. And meanwhile, T'Pol can't process any of this because she's still dealing with the Trillium D effects, which are still affecting her and still causing her issues and will continue to in the future. And at this, so her usual tools aren't quite working the same way while she's dealing with these feelings that she doesn't know how to process and can't suppress while she's feeling tremendously guilty on top of all of that because of the whole death of Sim thing. And you could see how it, it, it writes itself, for God's sakes. It's right there on the page. Do something with it. But no, instead it's Archer and the two are just awkward at each other. It, it's like if you could wield awkward like a weapon. That, that's an interesting idea, actually. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, they fish out of water for a bit. Uh, very, I, I, I don't give a lot of praise to this episode, but very minor touch I liked. As they're driving into oncoming traffic, one of the, uh, one of the oncoming uh, cars flashes their lights at them. Because they don't have their lights on. I just thought that was a neat little touch. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. And I will never watch this episode again. Because screw this episode. So I just wanted to point that out while we were here. Now, I'm almost done with my notes at this point. Believe it or not. Because there's just not a lot to talk about in the episode proper. They set their phasers to kill. I thought these were a gradient. I thought it wasn't like stun kill. I thought it was like stun and then there's a power setting. In fact, even the stun is like one through three, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't even care at this point. Um, Archer, so so they go and they find the guy. This is a good time as any to mention that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in this episode. He plays uh, Damron, the head reptilian here, the main reptilian bad guy. Now, if you don't recognize that name, I don't blame you. Uh, he played Azazel over in Supernatural. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. He's probably a little bit more well-known as Negan over in Walking Dead. But he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, he's actually a good actor, and he does some good, good work. What I find funny, though, is he almost quit over this. Now, that's not a dig at Enterprise. It was actually the prosthetics. Uh, this is something that several other actors have had issues with before, especially on Trek. Uh, notably, Nana Visitor had several issues with this exact thing. Because when you have this giant thing just kind of doing this, and you're supposed to act in this, you wear this thing for hours at a time, and you have trouble breathing, and you can't really eat, and you can't really drink, and it's just miserable. By every account, the the full body plastine or not plastine uh, plaster casts that they would wear are very uncomfortable and very unpleasant to work in. Right? There are only a couple of people who don't seem to have issues with it, and that's probably just a person by person thing. So no no offense intended whatsoever. 
it's just interesting that he almost quit acting over this. Decided not to, which is good, because then we get him in the future, and he's awesome. So, you know, anyway, I just wanted to comment on that, because it's not like I got a lot else to comment on. Let's talk about uh, torture, shall we? Now, hang on a second. In order for an episode to qualify for anything, to qualify for lamentation status, it has to be all the way at the bottom. Remember, there's one off, two off, three off. Uh, but it has to be all the way at the bottom, and it has to have a little extra oomph to push it into lamentation status. I know for a fact two people personally who the the torture scene, you know, the, the, the beating up... Uh, whatever his damn name, I already forgot it, Loomis. Beating up Loomis scene is the thing that is the extra little oomph to push this into lamentation status for them. Believe it or not, it is not for me. It's a terrible scene, but it doesn't linger long enough or it doesn't hit the point badly enough to really be that extra oomph for me. It is, however, a terrible scene. It is once again a misunderstanding of Archer's so-called character arc, which I've already talked about. We do what we must, so he decides to just slug the guy when he tries to lawyer up. Okay. Didn't feel right slugging you while you were... And he just does it so casually. Now, this is arguably out of character. This is arguably character assassination. Because this is not that big of a thing. Like, this guy probably is not at the level where that is really justified. And this that's ignoring the fact that the whole torture to get information thing probably doesn't work anyways. Even back when this happened in Anomaly, I didn't buy it. And that's kind of my core point, is I don't buy it. This this doesn't feel like Archer being pushed to the edge, so he has to do unacceptable. No, it just feels like they wanted to be edgy. And so they were. You know what would have salvaged this? Now, I've actually heard a lot of people give this exact same idea, so whatever. But you know, what would have salvaged this if T'Pol was like, Captain, what are you doing? I'm getting the information out of him. You didn't even try other methods. Well, I don't have time for that. So you consider it to be an acceptable expedient to resort to things you consider morally unacceptable if it is more convenient. And then just have Archer's face as that realization just smacks him in the face like... Because this could have been an interesting arc for Archer. It's not, and they don't do this. But have Archer descending to be a justice lord rather than actually being, you know, a Cisco here. Would have, it would have been an interesting arc in kind of showing how this whole situation is breaking him. And that would have been fairly in character for someone who has already mentioned several times to be completely overwhelmed by all of this. And, spoilers, Archer being overwhelmed and in over his head is actually his arc that we arguably haven't started yet. Instead, what T'Pol does is preach. That's the oof for me, by the way. To Paul being preachy in this episode. She preaches about fossil fuels. She preaches about Loomis, how he's a disgusting human being. She says, $5,000, is that what a human's worth in 2004? She preaches about the food, and she preaches about the smoking. She threatens to shoot the guy over smoking. Now, I'm actually allergic to cigarette smoke. If you lit up in the car with me, um, I would leave the car or roll all the windows down or something, because I would stop being able to breathe. You know, that's that's not an insult. No, no insult intended. In fact, half my family smokes, which can cause issues. But, you know, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't pull out my ray gun and threaten to shoot someone over smoking next to me. <laughs> and 
Okay, whatever. It's that, and you're probably thinking, Lord, well, why does the preachiness get to you? Honestly, because I'm just sick of it. Maybe it's just because I've covered a lot of TOS recently as well. And maybe it's just because of the fact that, you know, most of Star Trek just sits in my brain like it's a freaking encyclopedia. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, Trek hits this point so often. Oh, modern day humans are terrible. Modern day humans are terrible. Did you know? <laughs> Did you know that at the beginning of every lore week, modern day humans are terrible? Like, what? And they just, they smash this point over and over and over and over and over. And very rarely do they actually do anything interesting with it. DS9 did a few times. Um, the Bell Riots episode was a good example of showcasing the issues with humanity, but not just preaching. It wasn't just, oh, <laughs> you haven't even solved all of human life's problems yet. FNAF. FNAF. Instead, it was like, this was a complex and terrible issue that they were having trouble dealing with, and they hadn't quite woken up to yet because it was such a terrible thought that most people had trouble processing it, which is a far more nuanced and interesting take than, oh, you can just get extra food for 70 cents. It's so easy to upgrade your meal to be even more unhealthy. Oh, Chauncey. Oh, the dilithium icing. And I'm just, I'm sick of it. I'm so sick to death of it. I apologize for ranting about this. I do. It's its just, this is something that has bothered me for years. Since I was a kid. Since they did this in season one of TNG, which was my first real exposure to this. And it has bothered me ever since. I'm not saying we're saints. In fact, I'm not even saying I necessarily disagree. But again, presentation matters. <sighs> So T'Pol, T'Pol preaches, and they're a fish out of water. Again, Orser is one of the, the, the gems of the episode. It's, it's, it's like I'm clinging to him like a life raft, because as he's saying, hey, you want to go? I'm, I'm starving. Can we, get, can we get a drive-thru? Would that be cool? Um, 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 oh, they were good. You can try the, the fries. They're probably good. Actually, you, if you think about it, fries probably would be acceptable for her. I mean, they're cooked in oil, which may be the oil that's also used in the uh, the other thing. But she also says no to a salad, which has no animal products in it, just because they have the option of adding bacon to it. <sighs> Shrug? I, I don't know. I don't know. Preachy, preachy, preachy. Moving on. I suppose if she was legitimately interested in not consuming any animal products as a choice, then, yeah, it, it would make sense to not buy a salad from Wendy's. Because who knows, right? So I'm, I'm not going to judge. It's just... She is. <clears throat> so then we have some action. Action, action, action. And, you know, the action's really tepid and badly uh, badly blocked, badly storyboarded, too. Like, there's so many scenes where Archer just puts in a really poor showing because the episode needs to keep going. He has the drop on these people. They don't know he's even there. As in, they don't know he's in the century. Never mind, in the building with a gun trained on him. And he still manages to fail twice in a row. The only reason he accomplishes anything is because he's got the drop on them. And because Orser freaking warns the reptilians by honking the horn. Which is hysterical because he was doing that to help them. And it just ends up distracting the reptilians like, huh? What's going on? And that allows Archer to shoot another one. Good job, buddy. And then he's got this stupid little switchblade, and he's fighting someone who has superhuman strength, so we know how that's going to turn out. By the way, very minor point. It feels like she had to turn down the settings multiple times to get down to stun to shoot him. 
so if you think about it, does that mean there's more than one setting other than stun and kill? Just food for thought. So then they go up to the roof, and it turns out that they've got, you know, they've got the Ultra Death Plague. But they're missing two blood types. They can't use it, you know, because apparently Archer thinks he's fighting Albert Wesker here. However, it's okay. T'Pol is here to give the fact that without two blood types, it'll hit three-fourths of the population. Because, no, none of that is true. This would probably wipe out way, way more than that. Because of how blood types are and the distribution thereof. We actually know the specific blood types they're missing, too, so we could probably math that out. I didn't, because I don't care that much. So this is still this horrifying, deadly doom plague. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Um, how do you... I need to distribute this horrifying death doom plague. It needs to get to the whole... It needs to be total global saturation. How do I hit the entire planet simultaneously? I've got it. I'm going to get one of those dinky little air cycling vents on the roof, and that's going to distribute this to the whole world. Everyone will feel the joys of, of the great convalescence. There's no logic here. There's no action here. There's, there's, there's this one little bit, you, we will not allow you to destroy us, which is the tiniest effort to do something with this scene. And then, no, we've got to have the, and it even goes slow-mo to stop it from going into the, question, question. Uh, if it was, uh, unsealed, and was going to hit the entire planet from a tiny little air vent, that would probably mean, hypothetically, that it's going to hit a lot even without the vent, right? Which means that for the few seconds it was unsealed, that's the death of, like, what, half the country? Or at least the state. No, it's okay. Everyone's fine, though. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. As long as it doesn't go in the vent, everything's fine. That's, that's how that works. It's, it's, like, it's like the goal line. It doesn't count unless you cross the goal line. None of this makes any sense. It's typical action schlock. And I can enjoy action schlock. I can. There are plenty of action movies I enjoy. Uh, this year or next year, I'm not sure the timing, uh, I'm ruminating on Predator, which I've actually already recorded by this per perspective from my perspective. And that's a, that's a good film. I enjoyed that. Hell, I enjoyed freaking uh, Commando, which is an even more action schlock film. I hate to name two Schwarzenegger pieces, but whatever. I can enjoy schlock, but it has to be enjoyable schlock. And then everything is wrapped up. They, they get back to the present with all their evidence. The only way this episode matters in the future. And poor, poor Loomis is like, no, you don't understand. The aliens are coming. And the reptilians, but careful, they've got ray guns. Yep, sure, okay. Convenient scapegoat. I sure hope that that doesn't alter the timeline in any way. Don't worry, it is actually kind of reasonable that it wouldn't. After all, all they've done is kidnap several people while simultaneously uh, stealing a car and taking food from these people. And Basically, there's several interactions here, but don't worry, none of them will matter. Because we're not supposed to think about this, because they certainly didn't. <sighs> now, the end of these, I like to do a, well, what I do. Now, the first and most obvious answer is, Nix it entirely. This this should not be here. This is dumb. Get rid of the time travel. First and foremost, just end it entirely. We've got word of a bioweapon. It's over here. We're still trying to be stealthy because we don't want the reptilians and the Zindi nation to know that we're in the area. Okay, so we need to infiltrate. That means a small team. That means we, we, means we send in only a couple of people. 
I would probably make this uh, to Paul because we need her science expert for whatever's going on. Flox isn't really capable of doing this, unfortunately. I, I mean, he's he's a smart guy and he's more, he's got the brain, but he's not the kind of person who should be on you know feet on the ground. Not for this. But even as I'm saying that out loud, I could see an argument for Flox instead of to Paul. I could see that I could see Flox himself arguing for you know I myself have put my time in in the military. I may not be as fit as I used to be, but. I can still do what I have to do. So, okay, let's go ahead and make it flocks. Let's just commit to that. And probably a Mako, because that would make the most sense. And if you want to stretch it to three, which I'd be okay with, we'd go ahead and tack Reed on there. There you go. Reed, Mako, flocks. They're infiltrating this facility. It's uh, turn it into Metal Gear Solid, basically. It's this place where they have to drop, sneak in, find out what's going on. They find out that they have... <sighs> okay. I know I already rewrote uh, North Star to make them Zindi, but let's assume for a moment that they're humans. We find out that the Zindi nation has, for whatever reason, discovered that there's humans there and has been kidnapping humans from the North Star planet specifically to experiment on them so that they can build this bioweapon and then you know be able to transport and distribute it to Earth. Okay. Cool. I'm with it. And then the rest of the episode kind of doesn't really change its structure all that much. It's more about the infiltration and... Um, okay, actually, it changes the structure substantially now that I'm thinking about it. Because the whole point at this point would be it would all be about trying to sneak in and avoid things. We would probably This would probably be a good episode for exposition if we were going to do it in that manner. Because most of the scenes would be about them spying and dropping in on what's going on, finding out. This would be a good time to find out about the you-know-whos, which we haven't even mentioned yet. By the way, we're halfway through the season. We haven't even mentioned them. Uh, maybe a good time to drop information about what's going on politically with the Zindi Nation. Maybe have a line about how, you know, you'd realize that they would never accept us stealing from another planet with anything. Ah, they don't have a say in this. And to kind of casually reference other Zindi powers that are not the main Zindi Council nation within the course within within the expanse and within the sector, just little stuff like that as they're infiltrating and then they manage to get it, sneak it out. Flox figures out what he can do with it, finally manages to neutralize it. The reptilian is like, ha, but we will all die together. And Flox is like, actually, I managed to uh, nullify the virus with reasonable course. I'm afraid it will do nothing more than cause you a little bit of a sniffle. And then, you know, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like, what? And then they shoot him, and then they have their prisoners and their resources, and they take them. And nobody knows they were here, and shazam! Hey, there you go. And that was literally something I came up with off the top of my head, because I didn't prep anything. What would you do, as ever, and as always, I am curious of your thoughts. <sighs> I'll see you next time.